The first message is our image of God, right? And it's a series about beginning again. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this admittedly that, you know, every day is somewhat of a new beginning, right? We start the day off great. The scripture says that there's new blessings every morning, right? And so we start the day off great, and then by the end of the day, we're looking forward to a new beginning again. And so this is about new beginning. It's a new beginnings. And like I said, this particular message in week one is the image of God. Um, and it focuses on the fact that at the beginning of a new faith journey, we should examine if our ideas about God are limiting. Are they limiting or are they expensive? Right? Do they expand? Like, and when we think about God, do we think of him in a limiting way? Or expensive. And we're going to look at Luke 15 this morning. You know, in Luke 15, Jesus challenges the Pharisees and the scribes to examine their view of God by telling three, three stories that illustrate who God is and ending with a challenge that encourages them to expand their ideas about God. The image of God that we carry with us from one day to the next, can free us to live joyful lives in Jesus Christ. Or quite frankly, it can weigh us down. Right? It can be difficult for us to do what we need to do as disciples if we don't have the correct image of God. And so as a starting point, we need to examine what our image of God is. And so we have started the year looking at heaven and the fact that God wants to be with us. Last week, Nathan did a, a great job in, in letting us know what we need to do now that we have all that information on heaven, right? But with all that being said, what is our image of God? And so let's go ahead this morning and examine our image. You know, if you've ever, if you've ever packed for a trip, then you know it's essential to bring the right things. You know, many of us have packed for camping, right? Be it the Garvita's backyard or the great outdoors, right? We've, we've packed for camping and, and we're ready to go and we consider what we pack before we go camping. How about hiking? Some of us have, have done that too. Packing for a long hiking trip is even more intense Right? Than just packing for camping in the garbage's backyard. Right? So when you're packing for uh, 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 hiking, it's pretty intense. You need to bring the right things and not the wrong things. You know, elite hikers weigh everything down to the ground. Talking about weight as, as a measure, it makes me think of the um, the Monk movie that just came out of Peacock in the last, I think it's called Monk's Last Case. Has anybody seen that? Alright, because I don't want to spoil it for you here, but, but in the movie, his main case was to find the killer of a bungee jumper. Right? And the main clue was the bungee rope. It was too long, so you can imagine. <laughs> right? It's better for it to be too short, right, than too long. But the victim's wife knew he was meticulous in cutting the right size rope, right, whenever he would go bungee jumping. And so we're at the starting point here, and what may be a three-year journey into knowing God, but before we take our first steps, we need to look and what we've packed. Have we packed the right things? Like the parable of the tower in Luke 14, 28 through 30. We won't look at that passage right now, but will we be, will we be able to complete the journey that we're going on with the, the faith that we have? Does our faith have to grow? Sometimes we stop reading. Sometimes we stop studying. Sometimes we stop praying because we believe we have packed it up, right? We believe we've read enough scripture. Some of us who have been Christians for 20, 30 years, we believe, okay, 
it's not a big deal that I missed this morning's reading because I've packed it up. I've read enough. I've prayed enough. I've studied enough. But here's the other question. Have we packed too much? Do we have extra things weighing us down? The baggage with God, it builds up over time, especially if you've been a disciple for a while. Like a, It's like a, a garage or a basement, right? There's that clutter, right? I know for me, I've been discipled profusely by my wife to stop leaving stuff in the garage, right? Because, bless her heart, she and mom will go out there, they do a great job in organizing everything, and then I just come home and there goes something else in the garage, right? And so garages, we find that garages sometimes get cluttered. Basements, they get cluttered. Doesn't seem like a big deal, right? But on a long journey, in this case, a lifetime or beyond, we'll start to get weighed down by the extras. And after traveling a lot, you know, after traveling a lot, Claudette and I, we've learned quite well how to pack. Right? We've learned, like, not to pack this huge suitcase for two days. <laughs> we've, been, we've learned how to, how to be pretty, you know, intentional about the items we pack so that we could, pack, we could travel light. And it's made a difference in consuming our energy as we travel but also making travel less of a hassle. You know, Jesus wants our burden to be right. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you travel an airline, many of you guys have probably witnessed this, uh, not so much domestically, but you know, when you travel internationally, you come across people packing a whole lot of stuff in their suitcase to take back for family, or to, to bring here for family, and they pack a whole lot of stuff, whether you're from uh, the Caribbean, or, or somewhere in Asia, or, or you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because things cost a different amount there. So they pack a whole bunch of stuff to bring, and so when they get to the airport and they weigh it, it's too heavy. And sometimes I find it amusing to see what they do after that. Because now they got to get the suitcase open. they got to take stuff out. they got to put it in another bag. Sometimes they got to find another bag to put it in in order to weigh the two bags now to get it to their destination. Some people, sometimes they bring an older suitcase and they still pack it up with everything and it busts open and then they have a whole other issue. Right? Weighing themselves down. They thought they would get away with it. You know, one of the most important things that we can be lacking or that can be even way too much is our image of God. How do you see God? What is the image that you think of when you think of God? You know, the Hebraic way to think of God or to think of anything really is it is in images. Right? Things that are tangible that you can see. That's why Jesus tells the stories that he, he does, because he wants you to be able to picture it. Right? The Greek way of thinking of God and the image of God is more is not as tangible. It's more looking at him as omnipresent. Right? It's something that you can't really picture as well. But how do you view God? You know, in Luke 15, Jesus came to reshape, reshape our image of God. Yeah. He tells three parables. That of a lost sheep, lost coin, and a lost son. <laughs> that paint a similar picture, a similar view, I'm sorry, of a God who is not exclusive or eager to judge. As his audience, the Pharisees and the scribes believed. You know, welcoming Jesus welcomed, was welcoming and eager to save. And so let's start by looking in Luke 15, verse 1. 
In Luke 15, starting in verse 1, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. One second, you're missing something on my notes, but. Give me a second, guys. Sorry about that. And so he tells them this parable. And we find that the theology or stories about God of the Pharisees and, and that the Pharisees and the scribes, they looked at this story of God, right? And it affected the way they saw the world and how they treated others. Sometimes when we, when we look at just the story, right? Depending on the story, it affects the way we think of God. And so their view of God caused them to look down on people who were eagerly seeking help and God's presence. Our theology, our stories of God has a bigger effect on how we interact with the world that we might that we might not even realize. Yeah. How you think of God has a big effect on your world. Come on. And so to help change their hearts and minds, Jesus tells them a story. Nothing is working this morning. All right. Come on, Dave. Come on, Dave. We're going to solve this. So, JJ, if you could just help me out, buddy. Right there. <laughs> so, to help change their hearts and their minds, Jesus tells, tells them a story. Three parables, right? With a twist um, in the third parable. And the stories are very powerful. There is a powerful biblical, three is a powerful biblical number, right? You know, Jesus tells them the same story, really the same story, three times. Three times in a row to drive home the point that this is who God is. That he is a searching shepherd, right? That he's, he's this, a diligent woman, and we'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. Right? And, and he's a generous father. He is searching, diligent, and generous. And he tells them the same story over and over for them together. He speaks from a, a, from a Hebraic worldview with tangible metaphors. So he uses imagery to explain who God is. Let's look at Luke 15, 4 through 7. And so in Luke 15, starting in verse 4, says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he, he lays, lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Let's look at verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. Can you imagine? He calls everybody when he found them and says, Rejoice with me. Share my joy, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven Come on. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so God as a shepherd here is amazing. We've learned so much about shepherds, right? We've learned the condition that they live in. 
incredible, but God lowers himself to be like a shepherd here. God cares about each individual sheep. He cares about every one of us. And he's searching for anyone who has decided to intentionally wander away. Now, some of us don't decide intentionally, but some of us just happen to wander away. And he cares for everyone. And he's searching for every one of them. And he's willing to get dirty for every one. That is the God you serve. That is being a shepherd, where you're willing to get your hands dirty for one another. Sometimes one of us, one of us wanders away, and it's like hands off. That's too. That's gonna, you know, be so uncomfortable. But God is a searching shepherd. He rejoices when we change our worldview to see things His way. That's what He wants. He wants us to to see things His way, to see your life how He views it, to see yourself how He views you. He loves you, and sometimes you know that's hard for some people. And God loves you so much, but you look at yourself and you're not satisfied. He wants you to change that worldview. You know what that's called? Repentance. When we change the way we see things, when we change the way we see even God, that's repentance. There you go. And Luke shows us here that God cares for us like a good shepherd. In verse 8, Luke 15, verse 8. For what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying what? Just like the last part. Rejoice. She called them and said, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. When God finds that lost sheep, when he finds that lost coin, he's going to rejoice. And he calls all of us to rejoice in the same way. That we should have a, a party and celebrate because we found that lost coin. Now, I know that sounds kind of strange. That God here depicted as a woman who lost, let's just say, for instance, $100 out of 1000 Let's say a dollar out of 10 That God is represented here that there's a shock value. First of all, we're shocked that he would try to represent himself as a woman. Right? In this time, in this time period. Second, it's shocking that he's trying to open stubborn minds in this way. That that you sweep the whole house. Sweep the whole house to find one coin. Then throws a party even. Where everybody's rejoicing and they're joyful over one coin. It's like finding a coin and saying, hey guys, come to the Lasanne house. We are going to party because I found my coin. Now it sounds a little silly, but that's what he does. And guess what? Maybe it costs even more than that coin to throw the party. So, it shows that God's love for us borders on the ridiculous. Because what I even said just now, it sounds like, what are you talking about? Like, why would we throw a party and rejoice and do all that over a coin? So God's love is almost like it borders ridiculous, as Francis Chan would say, it's kind of this crazy love that he has for us. Mm-hmm. 
That is just so extravagant that he would do something like that over a lost coin. But that is how he thinks of you. That is how he thinks of your brother. That is how he thinks of your sister who is having trouble spiritually and they wander away. But what do you do If God would do something so extravagant and so crazy sounding, what would you do? That's the God we serve. That is God's love. In verse 11, verse 11 through 24, we'll start start actually with 11 through Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sin of mass. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Let's, Let's go further on. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be a need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Can you imagine? And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had more than enough bread but I perish here the home. Sometimes the grass is not green on the other side. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your, to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off. Now hear hear this, y'all. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And did what? And ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now listen, in this time, it's strange for an older man to go running to anyone because of his pride and who he was. But he didn't care. He put that aside and he said, that is my son. And he has come home. It doesn't matter how ridiculous I look. I am going to get it. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now we know this story. God's heart to keep looking night after night on the horizon, hoping to see his son's silhouette. He just wants to get a glimpse of him to bring him back home. Prodigal means wastefully extravagant. If you ever looked it up in the dictionary, it means to be wastefully extravagant. And we would think that the son, what the son does, he goes out and he was wastefully extravagant. But think about the father here. 
He runs. Again, something disgraceful in that culture for an older man. And he, he cuts his son off mid-sentence to bestow gifts of grace and honor upon him. And we find another celebration. Another celebration that the son has come home. You know, maybe some of you have been moving away from your relationship with God for various reasons. It happens. Our image of God can get warped. When we think about God and who He is, this image that we have can get warped. And so we start to do things that are not appropriate as a son and daughter of God. And we start to drift and move away. You know, the son thought he could come back and just be a hired hand. No. God fully embraces. God fully embraces all who come back to him. He doesn't want you to leave. But when you do, and you come back, he fully embraces you. You know, I had a conversation with a young man yesterday. He's a young man who um, I baptized in a team ministry and all that. Haven't heard from him in a long time. I was so, I'm like, okay, give me a second. It was so great to hear it from him. And he's left the church. But one of the things he said to me was, what will people think of me when I come back? Just so happened I was working on this. Amen. Uh, what do you think God would think of you? Yeah. God embraces everybody that returns. But is that our hearts? You know, it's a, it's a process. It's a process to get our hearts to that point. But let this be your starting point. Amen. Let this be your starting point of getting your heart to that point. You know, in, uh, let's go to the next slide. This photo, this art, I should say this artwork, is called The Return of the Prodigal Son. 1969 by Red Rat. Red Rat. It's that tear that's in my side. 1669 by Red Rat. And if you look at it closely, you don't see the son's face because it's buried. It's buried in the father's robe. It's buried in his bosom. And this allows each of us to imagine our face there. Buried in God's chest. Amen. That when we come back to him, he wants to just embrace us. You only see the Father's face really fully. And it's full of love, it's full of mercy. You know, when I looked at this, you know, I, I kind of picture when people go and they look at artwork and they stand in front of it and they stare and they look at it. I used to wonder, like, what are you looking at? But when you look at this and, and see the artist's depiction of the prodigal son, it's moving. 
here's one of the things that the article said on this on this painting. It says that in the painting, the sun has returned home. In a wretched state from travels in which he wasted his inheritance and fell into poverty and despair. He kneeled before his father in repentance, wishing for forgiveness and a renewed place in the family. Having realized that even his father's servants had a better station in life than he did. His father receives him with a tender gesture. His hands, if you look at the hands in the photo, you can see it from where you are. His hands seem to suggest mothering and fathering at once. The left, when you look at the left hand right here, it seems larger and more masculine set on the son's shoulder, while the right is softer and more receptive in gesture. What a beautiful painting. It's like, yes, I am your father, I am strong, but I am weak. You left, you came back, I love you, I want you to be with me. We talked about this in the Heaven series. God wants us to be with Him, yeah. and He with you. And He's willing to look ridiculous if that's the case. Because He wants to be with you. And we too need to adopt the same heart. Yeah. Let's look at Luke 15, 25, and here's where we find the twist, right? Some of the twist in the story is that this parable has been called the parable of the prodigal son because the younger son is wastefully extravagant, right? As he goes out and squanders his father's wealth in wild living. But as we look at verse 25 here, it says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Can you imagine he comes and he just he hears music and dance and he's like, what is happening? And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. It's kind of interesting that he called on the servant rather than his father. Very interesting. And he said to him, your brother has, has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years, so many years, I've served you, Dad, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. Just like my just like my friend I spoke to yesterday. Just wondering, is God really gonna accept him back? Like what's 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 gonna be his position? You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
You know, this parable, like I said, has been called a prodigal son. But it would be so much more appropriate to call it the parable of the prodigal father. The conclusion of the story of all the three landmark parables in Luke 15 centers around an older brother's accusation that his father, our father, is being wastefully extravagant. He is being prodigal. He's being extravagant in what he is doing for the son who comes back. The son, the second son, looks at it like, you you kill the calf, you're having this big party, you're doing this whole shindig, you're spending all this money for him? That's wastefully extravagant, if you ask me. That's our father. That's what he does for all of us. It exposes the false idea that the older brother has The older brother represents the Pharisees and the scribes. And it applies to anyone who views God as seeing things their way. Punishing or exclusive. Like the Pharisees and the scribes, they, 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 they think they know God but there's distance between them and God. Because there's a wrong view, there's a wrong image, an incomplete image, if you will, of God. The older brother goes to a, to a servant instead of going directly to his father to ask what was going on. Don't we do that sometimes? Instead of praying and going to God and wrestling it out with God, we go to each other sometimes. They feel like they're owed more than they're getting. That's how the Pharisees and the scribes are. They feel like they're owed more. The brother felt like he was owed more. The presence of God, the Father, is not enough to bring them joy and security. This is the way of a Pharisee. So let me talk to you for a second about that. Sometimes we can live our lives lacking content, lacking being content, where we feel like what we have is just not enough to make me joyful. It's not enough to bring me the security that I need. And the presence of God in all of that is not enough. I want more. I need more. For me to do better spiritually, give me more. For me to live the life I need to live as a disciple, give me more. For me to be happy as a disciple, give me more. We think about our finances in that way. We think about our relationships in that way. Give me, give me, give me. That the presence of God with all of that is just not enough. We don't have enough money. Oh, it's I might as well, I might as well just give up. I don't have this or that. I might as well give up. Even though I have the presence of God. So our image of God is just skewed. Our image of God is just. It's just not the way he intended it to be. Oh, I'm unhealthy. You know what? I gotta give up. This shoulder thing, this head thing, this neck thing, it ain't getting better. Let me just give up. That's the way of a Pharisee, not a disciple of Jesus. Being content, Paul said, you gotta master that. You've got a master being content. Or she'll be unhappy for the rest of your life. Do we have this? Do we have some of this pharisaical view of God in us? 
They're jealous of the, of the joy and the success of others. Instead of seeing that if God is our Father, then we're all His children. And we should also rejoice. Somebody gets ahead of you in something. We get upset. We get jealous. Well, I wanted that for me. That should have been me. And we get upset at each other because of their success. It's a behavior of embarrassing. Not a disciple of Jesus. Do we have some of this in us? You know, looking back at Luke 15, 31, as it says there on the slide, it is so powerful. But he says, you are always with me. He says that to the son, the son that is behaving like these Pharisees. He says, look, don't worry, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It's yours. You don't have to behave like this. It's yours. And it comes freely. That's what Jesus wanted the Pharisees and the scribes to know about who God is. That's why he tells these three stories. These three parables. This is the story that we would do well to start with as we embark. You're always with me. The Holy Spirit came to make the Father's presence real. To make it real. Is God's presence a reality that you remember in your day-to-day life? When you go to work and when you do your thing, are you remembering God's presence? Are you aware of his presence? When your mind starts wandering onto things that shouldn't be, are you aware of his presence? Come on. Is there a distance between you and the Father? We're always with God, not just Sunday mornings. Not just Wednesday nights, but always. You know, this is truer than what we may feel. He also says that all that I have is yours. You are rich in God. One thing to live in America, but you are rich in God. Be you living in America or the Caribbean, Africa, wherever, whether you're upper class, middle class, lower class, you are rich in God. Where earthly wealth has no comparison, you are rich in God. Is this a reality that you remember day to day? Of where you stand before God in such spiritual wealth? Or do you feel scarcity? Like you never had enough. There's never enough time. There's never enough money. There's never enough relationships. There's never enough food. I guess that's what I'm thinking of a little bit too. (laughs) There's just never enough. Do you feel like your life is just about scarcity? Wow. Some of us feel weighed down. That's why. Because you don't feel like you have enough. You feel like you live a life of scarcity where every day is about getting more. When we go to work, yes, we do a good job, but at the end of the day, pay me more. It's just about more. You will never be happy in Jesus 
if that is your thought process. Come on. You're always going to feel like you need more. We're standing at the, the very beginning of this trailhead, right? That leads us to God as individuals and as a church. And we have our backpacks loaded for the, for the trail. We have our backpacks loaded for the journey. With a lifetime of ideas about God and how we see Him that affect the way we walk on this trail. If it's too heavy, you're not going to get real far. If you're weighed down by life's issues and all of that, you're not getting far on the trip. Some of it has to be unloaded. But fill in that backpack with faith. Fill that backpack with love. Fill that backpack with grace, mercy, obedience. And see where you get. Amen. Crazy. Come on. Make sure you have this in your pack. Make sure you have this as a main feature of how God, of how you see God. Make sure you have this in your pack. That God is always with you. Oh. And that all he has is yours. You know, what I want us to do, here's your challenge for the week. If we could have a devotional time every day this week using the daily thread devotionals on the app that I spoke about in the beginning. Right? Look, the reason I say it's a, tra- a challenge is because it's a new thing. <laughs> right? Every new thing is, is challenging. But have a devotional every day this week from the podcast. Also, be sure to watch episode one, Our Image of God. If you could show that next slide. And if you need the QR code to find the, uh, the app, then I'll go ahead and give that to you after service. Let's close with talking a little bit about Jesus as we move into communion. You know, as we discuss the image of God, understand who God is. Yeah. Start to contemplate who God is and how you see him in your life. He is always with us. He gives us all things. Jesus came to live on this earth. He was persecuted. He was crucified, died, buried, resurrected. And God does all of this for you. Even his one and only son, he gives you. Says you have everything, you have all things, even my son. If we can look at Col- Colossians 1, verse 15. Colossians 1, verse 15. Colossians 1 verse 15 it says this about Jesus he is the image of the invisible God talk about images right talk about having our view of God Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation 
And I find it so interesting that, that today, sometimes we have a tough time because it's not tangible, having this image of God. But can you imagine those disciples that put their eyes on Jesus? Right? The image of an invisible God. That they could see this, this God in Jesus. And so as you, as you pray and you think about the things that Jesus has done, it gives you so much more of a clear picture of who God is. And so I pray that this week will focus on our image of God and focus on the fact that Jesus is that image. Jesus is that image of God. And focus on the things that he has done for you. Let's go to God and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to pray God. We're so grateful for your love. God, we're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for your grace. God, there's nothing that we can do without you. There's nothing we can accomplish without you. Father, you are always with us and you give us everything we need. Father, help us to not live this life where we feel like we cannot be content. Help us not to live a life of of scarcity, but to understand that we are rich. God, our wealth in you is amazing. Father, you have given us your son to die, be buried, and resurrected so that we can live the life that is so superior here on earth. Father, help us not to be consumed with our three things, but to set our minds and our hearts on you. Help us to set our hearts and our minds on the destination as we journey through discipleship, as we journey through Christianity. Help us to set our hearts on the end, which is heaven. Help us to set our hearts on the new Jerusalem, carrying a light backpack. Your sons and your Thank you.